It's a great time of year, and this is a great day to be together in God's house. And what we're going to notice is intention within Scripture this morning, which just spotlights the reality that we are here on purpose this morning. The beloved disciple, John, tells us something of note in his gospel account. In John 21, 25, he writes this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. He's indicating to us that what we have within Scripture is a mere sampling of the miraculous work that Jesus Christ did. But what that tells us is this. The stories which are included within inspired scripture are there for a reason. Every single miracle is designed, it's inspired, it is there to tell us something about Jesus, to deepen our understanding about God. John referred to them as signs indicating they are pointing to something deeper, One writer said of them that they are sermons to the eye just as his spoken discourses were sermons to the ear. And this morning, Jesus is going to demonstrate that he is truly a force of nature and that he has power over death. Death is not something that generally we like to think about, though all of us give it some consideration. As I was studying, I looked this up. The majority of states recognize five manners of death. There is death by natural causes, kind of the one we aim for. There is death by homicide, one we want to avoid. There is death by accident. There is self-inflicted death or undetermined But really what I have found is that according to Scripture, all deaths are actually natural because of our sinful state. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3.20, All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. There's no breathing room in there. It is literally for everybody. The natural course of events is death. It is very unnatural to come back from death. One might better say it is supernatural. But that is the force of nature that is Jesus, who in Romans 6, 9 we read, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no dominion over him. Though where we are in our current state, our natural setting is death has dominion over us, but not over Jesus. In fact, victory over death is the promise that Jesus gives to his believers. In 1 John 2.25 we read, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. You cannot have anyone give a promise to you any better than Jesus, and Jesus promised those that are his children have been gifted eternal life. And in effect, the passage that we'll study this morning is going to demonstrate Jesus' power over death, and it is somewhat of a down payment, an installment on the promise of resurrection and life that we have. One author on this passage termed Jesus the commander 
of the cemetery. Frankly, no matter how old we get, farewells are tough. Saying our last goodbyes is heavy. Also, the older that we get, the more it seems that we spend time saying goodbye to people that we care about. Certainly, that lends to questions on our part. What is actually the end of the story? Is there some visual imagery within Scripture that we can draw some understanding that is descriptive about that which is to come? And I say that this passage this morning gives us insight into what the end of that story looks like. In Luke chapter 7, at the beginning, Jesus is going to heal the centurion's servant. He will do it by a word. And now Jesus is going to meet the widow of Nain and he is going to raise her son from the dead. And in it we will see the force of nature that Jesus is in Luke 7. Look with me if you have your Bibles there at verse 11. And it came to pass the day after, that is the day after he healed the centurion's servant, that he went to a city called Nain. It's about 25 miles from Capernaum where he healed the centurion's servant. Probably in the late afternoon, Jesus arrives here. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. There's a lot that mirrors in those two verses. In fact, we know that Jesus is now completing a 25-mile journey from Capernaum to the village of Nain. We know that at the moment Jesus arrives, Luke says, Behold, there was a funeral procession. As if to say, wouldn't you note, a funeral is happening just as Jesus arrives on the scene. We also see that the woman who is at the head of the procession is a widow, and with her are much people. And as Jesus is traversing the trails, the roads, from Capernaum up to Nain, his disciples are with him, and much people. This is a collision that's about to happen. In the village of Nain... Nain, as I studied out, is a tiny Arab village of around 200 people. Even today, it exists and it's about that size. There is no archaeological evidence to suggest that it was ever larger than it currently is. In our minds, even as we see Jesus nearing the gate of this city, we might picture a fortress or a walled city with a large gate. It's probably not anything like that, but rather just an arch near this gathering of a village. Nain wasn't known for anything. In fact, this is the only time that it will be mentioned in the New Testament at all. It is probable that this is the only time that Jesus ever visited there. Josephus, who was a first century historian, said that Nain is simply a town in between Galilee and Jerusalem. Which means it's one of those exits on the side of the highway that has a gas station and fast food. And when you're doing a road trip, you can eat fast food with no consequences. Did you know that? It's allowed. How many of you have ever taken advantage of the exit with the gas station and fast food? 
How many of you have ever really wrestled with the decision between McDonald's, Arby's, Hardee's, or some unknown fast food? Yes. How many of you have dipped so low as to go ahead and just do gas station food? Anyone? Mm-hmm. How many of you have dipped so low that you did gas station sushi? Anyone? No. No one so dumb or low as to do gas station sushi. I'm trying to get you to imagine in your mind what the village of Nain is. It will deepen our understanding of the story when we grasp this is 25 miles from Jesus' ministerial headquarters. It's between Galilee and Jerusalem. It's simply an exit in the middle of nowhere town. The only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, probably the only time Jesus visits there. And amazingly, Jesus encounters a funeral procession. An open coffin, an open casket is there. A pitiful woman is standing directly in the path of Jesus. The fact that much people are with her indicates, as was customary, that there were professional mourners that were there around her. But it also is instructive in that maybe this young man was loved and well known. This widow is loved just the same. But much people are there. The woman at this point in time is a widow. She doesn't have the company of a husband. As far as we can tell, children communicated in an instant to Jesus and his followers is the depth of this tragedy. Though those that are with Jesus are probably dumb to it, Jesus is aware of all of it. Tomorrow, this widow woman will wake up by herself. Already broken hearted, that's not going to change tomorrow morning when she wakes up. She's all alone in the world. By the way, she's all alone in a world that is very harsh and hard on women. The fact is, this woman would be without any permanent companion. She will now be without any provider or any protector. I think the more that we understand the isolation of this situation and the pitiful nature of this woman's life, she becomes a fit figure for any hurting soul desperately in need of Jesus Christ. I know that as this pitiful woman is stumbling toward the burial ground, she has no indication whatsoever that her life is about to be changed forever. In fact, there's no more striking contrast than seen between the helpless widow and Jesus Christ, the sovereign power of the universe on the scene. I want you to note that because we have to understand this is no coincidental encounter. This is not an accidental thing. This is no chance meeting. Nothing Jesus does is ever on accident. Everything he does is always on purpose. Even during extreme tragedy, we understand that Jesus is working his purpose. We may not know it now, but it will one day be clear to us. I love the word that Luke uses, and he's very descriptive all the way through this account when he says, behold, look, there is a funeral procession. It would be something along the lines of, well, what do you know? Jesus arrives on the scene and hits the gate at the same time that an open casket is coming out the gate. What do you know? This is happening under his control. The funeral happens, in my estimation, to be the very reason that Jesus is even going to this out-of-the-way village of Nain. 
In my mind, Jesus at some point has looked at the disciples and certainly the onlookers who were always with them and said something like, well, fellas, what do you say we go to Nain today? Perhaps those disciples are so aware of Jesus' power at this point that they no longer question his travel plans. They know he's obviously got something in his mind, which is why Luke, by the time he arrives at this out-of-the-way village, says, behold, here it is. An open casket. That's why we're here. As Jesus works in this moment, picture it in your mind. The large crowd that is in the funeral procession. The large crowd that is following Jesus. And they all meet at the gate at the same time. One author said, one crowd is being led by the invisible prince of death. And the other crowd is led by the visible prince of life. And they meet, and let me tell you, this is nothing less, he wrote, than a collision of eternal significance. It's eternal in its significance because it still matters to us. It is still incredibly instructive to us in an area that we actually have questions, and we really do want to know answers. This widow of Nain in an out-of-the-way village, an unprotected, not cared-for woman who really has nothing going for her, meets the master of death. In verse 13, we read this. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. I feel like, and I know all scriptures inspired, I feel like Luke is raising his level of writing. It's mirrored in verse 11 and verse 12 that there are much people on either side. And here we see somewhat of an ascending staircase. We see that the Lord saw her. We see that he had compassion on her, and then we see that he spoke unto her. Jesus had compassion. He was moved inwardly. He yearned with tender mercy. He felt affection. He sensed pity. He felt empathy. Within Scripture, compassion is the deepest movement of emotions possible. It is being moved within one's deepest feelings. Now, I need you to understand something. Jesus is not like us in the sense that sometimes he puts on a facade, that he's trying to convince the disciples and the much people that are gathered that he actually cares. It is indicated to us that he actually cares, that down in his guts, down in his reins, in his heart, pressing on the inside of him, Jesus is moved by this situation that's stunning in and of itself. Though this was typical of Jesus, later at a similar occasion, Jesus is going to observe Mary and Martha weeping for their brother Lazarus. Matthew, or I'm sorry, John will tell us, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, the Bible says he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He groaned in his spirit. Again, that's a word that helps us to understand what's going on emotionally with Jesus. It comes from an ancient word that describes a horse's snort. It indicates to us that the Lord let out an involuntary gasp. The breath went out of him. It was the onset of tears for Jesus himself. One wrote, he gave way to such distress of spirit that it made his body tremble. And that's when we read the first verse you can ever memorize, right? Jesus wept. It's two words. 
His spirit is so weighted down that he lets his breath out and he capitulates into tears. Jesus felt so much for Mary and Martha that he gave a physical reaction. When he saw the widow of Nain, Jesus again has that inward convulsion of compassion. From this we infer Jesus has a heart that's big enough for our sorrows. His compassion and his empathy is real. All of us wonder at times if anyone actually cares. I don't even mean that we're motivated by selfishness. I mean all of us feel like in some way we're navigating this life completely alone, even if we're in a crowd or in a relationship. Does anybody really see us? And I can say to you as a child of God, inferred to us within this passage of Scripture, is Jesus saw this woman. It did not matter where she was on societal's ladder. Jesus saw this woman. And gladly we grasp that Jesus sees us. This is a big world. Can you imagine trying to stay on top of your own schedule and everybody else that is in this room, then add the other service, then add a three-mile radius? You could not possibly stay abreast of what was going on in the next five minutes. But Jesus is aware of all of it. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says to us, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, the writer of Lamentations proclaims. You may have such immense hurt in your life that you can't even voice it. You might not even know how to articulate what is going on. You may sense that if you say anything, you will be perceived as faithless. You will be looked at as weak. You will be perceived as needy, and that is revolting to you. And so you keep these things inside. You don't even articulate them. Maybe it's that the trauma is so great, no one would really understand And even if you told them, you make yourself so vulnerable that if they didn't fully understand or have a similar experience, they would think less of you. Let me simply say to you that Jesus understands completely and sympathetically. He is not hindered by personal limitations. His immense heart goes out to you. Jesus was touched by death. He was always touched by death. He was encountering In his body, the consequence of sin, death. It is the very reason that he left heaven and came to earth. He died so that he might give eternal life. The wages of sin is death and Jesus is seeing it and its consequences here in real time. Jesus was touched by her broken heart. I want you to just note something again that Luke does intentionally. He said in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, you say, Pastor, I don't understand how that is so instructive. You've already told us that it was Jesus who left Capernaum and went to the village of Nain. We know that it's Jesus, but stop for a moment and grasp this. Luke calls him the Lord. It's the first time in Luke's gospel that he will use that title. He is directing us to see Jesus, not only as Jesus the man, he's reminding us that this is the Lord, the sovereign power of the universe. And it helps us 
Because what he is saying is the Lord, the sovereign power of the universe, saw this woman who was heartbroken. The Lord of all power actually saw this pitiful individual in a side of the road nowhere town who had no prospects for a future and no hope of provision. The Lord of the universe saw her. It is a trap that we fall into that we imagine God, the sovereign power of the universe, as distant from us, as unaware of what is going on in our little circle, in our world, in our life, inside of our house, car, job, mind, heart, but he sees. It was not only that the Lord saw her, it was the Lord, the sovereign power of the universe who had compassion on her. That is a shocking fact. I'm glad that the sovereign power of the universe can be compassionate and empathetic. And he felt compassion for this simple woman. The sovereign power of the universe, not at some distance, right there, on the dust of the ground, walking and sees her, vitally interested, interested enough to be looking, interested enough to be seeing, and those are two different things. Interested enough to be concerned about what he saw. And then it was the Lord who spoke and gave assurance. That's shocking. That the sovereign power of the universe is verbalizing words of comfort to a simple widow woman in a side of the road village. He speaks and his words always affirm and strengthen. His word does just the same for us. It's a staggering thought. That the Lord is vitally interested in the affairs of men, even in the plight of this simple widow woman. Jesus understood This moment in her life. And I'll say this. He completely and comprehensively understood this moment in her life. We're not given all the backstory. We don't get the inner monologue. But we know for a fact that Jesus was in Capernaum the day before, 25 miles away. He marvels at the faith of the centurion. And with a word, Jesus heals his servant. At some point in the day, Jesus begins. He may have left overnight. He may have left the next morning. It's a 25-mile walk. That's significant. But the whole way, Jesus is going, and every step is timed out perfectly. Whenever Jesus chose to leave Capernaum, whenever that was, whatever stragglers were gathered with him, nothing impeded Jesus from arriving at the gate of Nain at the exact moment the funeral procession is there. Would have been better, like Mary and Martha said, if you'd arrived earlier, we would not have had these emotions of grief. But Jesus gets there when he gets there. And when he gets there, it's on purpose. And when he gets there, he's always on time. And when he arrives on the scene, he sees this woman. And where other people might have seen her and been waiting for the rest of the day, Jesus completely and comprehensively understood her and this moment. Do you ever wonder if people get you? The older I get, the more confident I am that I'm weird. How many of you are weird? Man, there needs to be more hands up than that. You're the reason the world is like it is. You just can't be honest with yourself. I heard a pastor who said everybody in the world is weird except him and his wife, and he wonders about her sometimes. You wonder, does anybody really 
get you. You're very individual. <laughs> you have your personality, your emotion, your thought patterns. Does anybody ever completely and comprehensively understand you? I mean, that's kind of the idea of working through marriage, isn't it? Do I ever completely and comprehensively understand? Will you ever completely and comprehensively understand? Jesus always completely and comprehensively understands. There's no dark corner that is not lit by his counsel and understanding. And Jesus says to her, weep not. That is an audacious statement. A crowd of people on one side and a crowd of people on the other. And as Jesus and these stragglers arrive at this small village, the weeping and the wailing, Jesus looks at this woman and he says to her, weep not, stop crying. Stop crying because of what I'm about to do. Stop crying because I don't want you to miss what's going to happen next. I want you to see what's about to happen. Look this way. Watch this. And in verse 14. And he came and touched the bier. That's an open coffin. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. If Jesus were here today, do you think he would lack an invitation to any funeral? He can end them all. If Jesus were here today, do you think he would lack an invitation to any children's hospital anywhere on planet earth? Where he could literally empty every single room? And let me just say it to you this way. One day he will. One day there will be no more funerals and one way day there will be no more hospitals and that's why we need Luke chapter 7 to instruct us about that very day. I believe as soon as Jesus touched this casket, even as he reached out for it perhaps, life regenerated, resurrected, surged back into this young man and I don't mean to go too far but I want you to comprehend, a series of miracles is taking place. Blood decoagulates. A heart that is hardened begins to beat again and blood courses through the body. Lungs begin to fill with oxygen. A brain that was dead is now functioning again. It's staggering what we read. That will stop any funeral procession. That will get anybody's attention. And the young man begins to speak. I wish that the Bible told us a couple of things. What did Jesus write in the dirt when they were accusing the woman caught in adultery? I want to know. And what did this guy say when he sat up in his casket? Good to be here. Did he start like a monologue? I don't know. Did he thank Jesus? Did he speak some words of praise? I do not know, but the young man spake and it signaled to everybody, this is no mere twitch. This guy's back he was gone, and now he is here. And all Jesus did was walk up to the casket, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. This is a picture of our future. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 
It's telling us that one day the voice that raised this young man, this babbling young man from this open coffin, will one day be trumpeted to the far ends of the earth will one day be trumpeted to the very bottom of the deepest parts of the ocean, will one day echo around every burial cave in the Middle East, will one day penetrate six feet down into the soil of every cemetery that is around. It is stunning to understand. It will be into the diffused dust and molecules of God's physically dead children and all who know Christ will hear it. The scene becomes a prophecy of that day. And if you'd let me step outside just for a moment, I can give you what I believe to be biblically founded opinions. When the trump sounds and the Lord breaks through and with the voice of an archangel he shouts, I think we have enough evidence in the New Testament to imagine the word that will be shouted is the verb arise. And the Bible tells us In this chronological fashion, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them and with Him in the air. Which means when we go to that place of burial and we stand on that spot of ground, whether the earth is freshly covered or grass has grown over and years have gone by, in that physical location, on the day that the Lord returns and cries arise, up and out of that grave, that individual go to be with the Lord in the air. And we, God willing, who are alive and remain, we will not have an action step. When we hear arise, what do we do? Just stand there. He'll take care of it. You're going up. And together we'll be with the Lord in the air. Paul said this, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul's telling us something. He's saying, listen, you'd rather be there with him than here now in this body. We cannot comprehend that. Our minds are finite. Our imagination is too dulled, but Paul is saying, I'm telling you a truth. Everyone that has gone on before you that you miss and that you grieve over wouldn't come back. And that's not hyperbolic, and that's not just words to try to trick somebody into feeling better. It's not a formulaic thing. It's fact. We'd rather be with him than to be here. It's truly, genuinely better there. Can Jesus command dead bodies to come back to life? Yes. This is an installment of that day. I want you to note something else. Jesus delivered him to his mother. Which in my mind indicates that Jesus helped him out of the casket. As they set it down, perhaps he picked him up. Whatever it was, there was a moment where the sovereign power of the universe walked to this pitiful widow woman who at this point probably isn't crying anymore with a young man who moments earlier was dead and actually physically carried out the reunion. And again, I might be stepping a little bit outside of bounds into opinion territory like with the verb arise, but I think there's enough evidence here to suggest that it's fact that one day Jesus will give us back to each other. And those aren't empty, hollow words that we try to trick somebody into feeling better about. It's fact. Doesn't mean husbands and wives will remain married. But that special connection in life will certainly be remembered. No doubt you'll see your spouse and you'll say, there you are. You look amazing. 
you look better than I remember. And they'll say the same. You too. That parent will look at the child and say, there you are, I've waited for this and missed you longer than you can imagine. And now with all the redeemed, we're going to be here together. We don't have to say goodbye anymore. My wife's grandmother passed away a couple of weeks ago. And people were joking, as we do, to try to lighten the mood at a funeral. And they were saying, you know, if anything was out of place in heaven, it's certainly been put back in place now that she's there. And ever the deep theologian that I am, I'm like, that's not true. Nothing is out of place in heaven. You're trying to be light and funny. It's not working here. We say these kinds of things, and sometimes we'll say, you know, he's up there with his brother. He's up there with his sister. He's up there with his parents. She's up there with her mom. They're up there, and they're reunited with their child. And and we try to somewhat imagine that. We try to somewhat wrap our minds around it. Without Luke 7, maybe we don't really grasp it. But the Bible tells us that Jesus raised this young man and brought him to the mom and said, here's your boy, have a good conversation, and moves on down the road toward Jerusalem. Which means those things that we say are actually rooted in fact. It's a promise. We have eternal life. And someday we're actually going to be together in the air. I said this to the first service. Which means you can't lose me because I'm saved. If you are, we're going to be together forever and ever and ever. And I have it in my mind. If we're going to just make jokes about heaven, I'm going to have a building project. And I'm coming to your mansion to have you give towards the building project. We're going to be together. All of the pain, all of the angst, all of the misery in this world, and it will all come crashing to an end. This scene ends in verse 16 and 17, and there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Not even a widow in a little village in the middle of nowhere is unimportant to him. One author said this, Christ illuminates the crevices of yet another small town, taking pity on yet another anonymous soul, and defeating death even in a little place like the village of Nain. He cares. I can't comprehend it. I'm not eloquent enough to fully articulate the depth of the language of Scripture and all of the visual imagery that is being passed on here, but I know that Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is touched with our infirmities, and that's not something the writer of Hebrews wants us to miss because we see Jesus gasp as breath comes out of him, and he cries with Mary and Martha. And they say to him, Jesus, if you'd have just been here, you could have healed him. And Jesus is in effect saying, you haven't seen anything yet. I came to give eternal life. Death has no dominion over me. I'm the commander of the cemetery. Whether I got here early or I come late for you, I can do anything. Nothing is impossible with me. Lazarus, come forth. That's the verb, arise. Young man, arise. Death has no dominion over him whatsoever. He willingly laid down his life No man took his life from him, and he took it up again when he chose. Death has no dominion over him. His nickname, so to speak, in Isaiah 53 is the man of sorrows. He doesn't overlook your pain. He doesn't overlook your sorrow. He enters into it with you. It leaves us simply saying, how awesome is Jesus? George Eliot wrote, 
If we had a keen vision and feeling of all ordinary human life, it would be like hearing the grass grow and the squirrel's heartbeat, and we should die of that roar that lies on the other side of silence. It's true wherever we are in this world that on the other side of the silence that we hear, a vast roar exists. If we could hear it like God does, it would kill us. The burden would overwhelm us. If we literally heard all the growth in nature and the groaning of all creation and the heartbeat of every living creature and the prayer of every individual and the scene of hardship everywhere, it would overwhelm us. But it's not too big for Jesus. It's not too big for his heart. His compassions, they fail not. Great is his faithfulness. It's not too much for him. We can't grasp it, but he hears the pain in every voice. He sees the hardship in every situation. He completely and comprehensively understands all of it. And his heart goes out to you with deep compassion and empathy. He has the power to minister to our deepest needs All he has to do is say, arise, and all of this is over. And we long for and look for that day. That's why I love that they shout, God hath visited his people. That's a proclamation of praise. If he hadn't, we'd all be doomed. The wages of sin is death. Our default setting is one of sin. There's no out for us. We can't outlive it. We can't outrun it. We can't be perfect. We're doomed to death. But Jesus came. God visited his people. Spurgeon said of that verse, blessed, forever blessed, be the friend of man. One day, Jesus will tell us, stop crying. And we will, forever. One day, we will never attend another funeral. And isn't that great? You know, I I say this pastorally. Not only will I never attend another funeral that I have to do, I will never have to do another wedding, which sometimes are worse than funerals. We'll never cry. There won't be sickness. There won't be disease. The curse of sin will be eradicated by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. How awesome is Jesus? Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.